Greetings. Welcome to the Legacy Drawing Board, the podcast that wants you to build a stronger, more meaningful legacy by embracing good design elements. I'm your host, Ron Fong. In this episode, I want to know if you are qualified to be the CEO of your legacy. And this topic came about as I was remembering my days when I was on faculty for the UC Davis Family and Community Medicine Residency Program. And I presented a talk to my residents, specifically my senior residents, about five or six years ago. And the title of the talk was, Would You Hire Yourself to Be the CEO of Your Life? And the idea is that for my residents, many of them were on the verge of becoming independent physicians. And they pretty much had it aligned as what they want to do. They were going to graduate, get a job as a doctor, and go forth from that. But they didn't really have, most of them did not have a firm understanding of the business world or the notion that the person that was going to be signing their paycheck may not be a physician. And they thought that it was going to be pretty much, you know, steps one, two, and three, boom, you're a doctor, you get paid your job, and you do it from there. But not to anticipate, I don't think many of them anticipated, or none of us could anticipate what was going to happen with the pandemic and how that really changes fundamentally of how we do things. And even when you have a job that is pretty stable and well-defined, such as being a physician, there are still forces that you can't control that you probably will not be able to predict. But did you take the time to prepare yourselves as perhaps other professions have done? Or have you put all your eggs in one basket and that's it? That's the only way you know how to make it work. And if it doesn't work that way, you basically don't work. And I... At that time, I was uh, doing my, my MBA, and I got to start thinking more about business and relating that to everyday decision-making and how business principles can shape your life for the better. One of the notions is a corporation, and that's why I got the idea that are you, you know, are you qualified to be a CEO of your life? And think of your life or your legacy as a business entity or as a corporation. And there's some value to this. One is that corporate stru- the corporate structure, it really should give clear uh, responsibilities. You should know who the CEO is, the CFO, the uh, CMO, and so forth. So the idea is that within the org chart, there's going to be clear responsibilities and delineation of who is responsible for what and who is going to be doing what. So within your legacy, within your life, Who has responsibility for your finances? Who has responsibility for gathering information? Who has um, responsibility for planning for it? It it probably will fall upon you, but at the same time, is that clearly delineated or are you just kind of going on, on the cusp, doing it on the fly, as opposed to having in your mind some clarity as to what you want to do, how you can do it, and what resources you need. The other, benefit of thinking of an endeavor or a pursuit in terms of corporate uh, organization is that there's itemization of assets and debts. You take stock of what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. And subsequently, once you identify your weaknesses, what steps will you take to address them? How can you turn your debt into an asset? And I think that many times we have blind spots or perhaps we don't get good feedback from people we trust. 
and we may be incurring a debt that just keeps taking on greater and greater weight. The other aspect of viewing yourself as a company is that understanding your location or position in the marketplace. And I know for the physicians, my family medicine residents, they really didn't think of that. What, what do you mean by marketplace? I'm not competing. But essentially you are, you're going to compete for resources. We all are. And the idea is that do you know what your relative value is? Now that shouldn't necessarily define you. The marketplace shouldn't necessarily define you, but it will definitely impact you. And do you understand your market? Do you understand what other people are doing? Because we don't live in a vacuum. And oftentimes if we go through life with blinders, that's where we run into trouble. And because my family medicine residents didn't have a business background, they thought that being a CEO means that you had carte blanche, you do whatever you want, that you were, you didn't have to answer anyone, you were the captain of your own ship, and you just set sail. And then I brought him in saying that, well, a CEO has to answer to a board of directors. And that's the board of directors there is to be a counterweight, to ask questions, and to keep the CEO from going sideways. And the idea of that you're going to be the CEO of your life slash legacy, I ask, do you have a board of mentors? Do you have a group of people? Have you identified a group of people who will guide you, advise you, and protect you, and many times protect you from yourself? I, I recommend it strongly that they develop a list, a board of mentors, and to draw upon a wide spectrum in terms of age, experience, and backgrounds. People that can show you more of the world, more of your world, and people that will be able to give you a different perspective, maybe fill in some of the blanks that you have, and again, to protect you. I think that's the key of all the aspects of mentorship is who will protect you, because I think that's vital that someone will be able to step in, someone that you can trust, someone that you'll listen to when they see that your path that you're going down is not the right one or the one that's going to be conducive to you. In terms of physicians, again, they, they think pretty straightforward, at least residents. I'm going to get a job, I'm going to be a doctor. But when I talk about you understand your place relative to the market, is that when you are in the work world, you're going to be viewed as either talent or labor. And I try to stress to my residents, get ahead of that curve. Define yourself as talent before someone else defines you as labor. And I use the, the, the example of Walt Disney. Walt Disney, I think in his 20s or 30s, was an up-and-coming animator. And he developed uh, a character called um, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. And if you look at the pictures of Oswald, it's basically that's Mickey Mouse, except he's a little bit more rabbit than rodent. And Oswald was, Walt Disney drew it, made cartoons, and they were known as shorts. So these were things that were, uh, they showed at the beginning, uh, right before a movie, to, to kind of, you know, before the previews and all that stuff, and to kind of, you know, entertain you and get, ready, get you ready for the main feature. So it happened that Oswald was gaining popularity, and that it was doing well. And Walt Disney said, I, I'm talent. You know, people like this stuff. He went to Universal Pictures and the producer of the pictures and say, I would like a raise because Oswald, the Lucky Rabbit, is doing well and it's drawing attention to your pictures. Well, the studios and the producers had a different view of Walt Disney. 
they viewed him as labor, not talent. And they pretty much said as much. They, they, they said to Walt, first of all, you don't own the intellectual property to Oswald uh, Lucky Rabbit. We do. As such, we can just hire someone else and take your place and just do just as well and not miss a beat. So they basically said to Walt Disney, hit the road. We, we, got, we own Oswald. He's ours. And any person can do it. We don't need you. Well, Walt, Walt Disney got basically fired. He needed to make a living. So he and his brother Royal, Roy headed west, went to a place in California called Anaheim. And, well, the rest is history. They basically built the Disney empire. And that's because he viewed and he kept the view of himself as talent. And he was not going to let someone define him as labor. What happened to Oswald the Lucky Rabbit? Most people have never heard about him until Disney, I think, reacquired the rights to it, uh, to it, and, and brought him and Mickey together and sort of a, you know, closed the loop in terms of that. But Universal and the producer made the error in judgment that this was uh, a creation of labor and that anyone could get plug and play and just put them in and they'll do just as well. And that was obviously an error in judgment. But the point is, is that when you are building and designing your legacy, I think one of the key things is to view yourself as talent. Because if you don't, I don't think you're going to be appreciated. I don't think you're going to push yourself to grow. And I don't think you're going to do your best when you're not, when you're not in a mindset that I'm talent, uh, I'm not labor. Because... Labor means that you, and this is nothing against people who do labor manually. I'm not, that's not the point I'm making. I'm saying that the mindset is that you're, it becomes mechanized and you're just going through the motions. That's why I was talking about in terms of labor. Now, in terms of, for, for you know, you individuals, as I'm talking about, I'm trying to expand this now in terms of well beyond the, my residents, but also for physicians too. So everyone's included in terms of this. Of, you know, what skills do you really need to... Um, get better at in terms of the, the workplace, the, the, the job market. And this is for, I think, more self-improvement, uh, but also in terms of hoping making yourself a better candidate, a more competitive candidate. And as we talked about before, is that with the economy, if you're not quite sure what's going to happen, if you're thinking, well, there was a pandemic before, there'll be another pandemic you know, how do I change with the times, with automation, with outsourcing, and all those things? I think there are five key points in terms of uh, five key qualities that will help you be the, make you a better CEO of your life and of your workplace. The first one is writing. Is your writing clear, concise, and consistent? And we've all seen this with emails where people will send us emails and we're not even sure what the person's asking. But for, for the emails, there's, there's various uh, forums or platforms in which you can make it uh, very efficient. Uh, I'll just cite one, it's called the S bar, where the S stands for situation, the B's for background, the A's for assessment, and the R's for recommendation. The situations that you've identified something that needs a person's attention. The background is that you're going to back it up. It's not your opinion. You're not ranting. This is there because you're going to supply the facts and the numbers to it. And the assessment, 
you're going to now interpret things. So it's not going to be just data. You're going to provide people information. You're going to take those numbers and you're going to be able to tell a story from those numbers. And finally, recommendation is this is where you show your talent, your value as talent, because you're going to say this is where we are. This is what the situation is. This is why it's urgent. Here are the numbers to back it up. And here's the recommendation for us to move forward. Communication, clear, concise, and consistent. The second quality should be public speaking. And I'm not talking about talking in terms of a, a vast audience. It could be in your small work groups, even with an, one other individual, is that when you're in public, you're, you know, especially in the workplace, that's the, that's the public place, the public forum, is do you speak with confidence and do you put the same amount of thought that you did with your writing in terms of being clear, concise, and consistent? So many times that we get going in public or we speak, and we do speak without thinking, and I think it's important that if you're going to be the CEO of your legacy, that you start thinking about what's going to be said uh, before you say it. And again, our legacy is defined by our words, our thoughts, and our deeds. So before the words come out, how much thought have you put into it? The third is analytics. And I'm talking about basic math skills and basic math literacy. One of the things that's going to be important in your professional life and in your personal life is can you follow money? And you don't necessarily have to be an accountant, but can you just say, all right, so money comes in, where does it go, how is it spent, and at the end of the month, end of the quarter, you know, how much do we have left over, do the numbers make sense? Because you don't want an Enron situation. You want to be key if there's embezzlement, or you also want to be key if maybe your own spending habits aren't commiserate with what you're making in terms of your salary. And this also goes in terms of your public speaking in your writing is that when you put in numbers, so many pe times people will just throw out a chart, throw out a, uh, a bar graph, whatnot, a graph, a, a table, and just expect you, the audience, to make sense of it. But that's not helpful. The point is, is that, first of all, again, do you have a story to tell? What's your story? Then the numbers should back it up. It shouldn't be the other way around where you're just going to throw out numbers and expect people to get the story. It doesn't work that way. So again, that's where you could show your value as talent that you understand first and foremost, you have something to say. You have a story. You have a narrative. You're the author of that narrative. And here are the numbers to help you tell that story and advance that story. But the numbers themselves are not the story. Uh, the fourth quality is PowerPoint or just slides in general. We've all been through it in terms of slides where people will just, again, throw spaghetti against the wall. And I talked about in the previous episode about visual hierarchies. This is where the design elements really come in and where you really will shine in terms of your talent. And that to show people, I've given this a lot of thought because I value your time. And I really want to advance this so that you know the, the two, the three of us, the group, our group, we can actually do something because of the time that we're spending together. We have a, a situation. You know, here's the background, here's the assessment, and here's my recommendation. And do your slides help with that, or is it just all over the place? And is it one of those things where, again, you're making it easier for the audience to follow the story that you want to tell? Finally, it's about decision-making. I used to joke to my residents that MD stands for make a decision. You know, 
are, are you going to operate or not operate? What antibiotic are you going to prescribe? For how long are you going to prescribe it? These all come down to decision-making. It's important to have the knowledge. It's important to have the experience. But at the end of the day, people are going to expect you to make a decision. And that's really why a CEO has the position they have and they draw the salary they have because they're going to be asked to make decisions, decisions to lead a company. And in terms of your legacy, were you an individual that could make decisions or were you overwhelmed by the situation? Were you an individual who decided they'd rather stay on the sidelines and not make the decision? So, you know, not making a decision in a sense is a decision, perhaps not the ones you want. So we all leave legacies, right? But are we leaving the ones that we want? And that's a decision point right there. So hone your ability to make decisions. I hope this was of some value to you and made some sense as I've tried to cobble together uh, a previous presentation I gave to my family medicine residents. And the, the point is, is that are you qualified to be the decision maker for your legacy? And if not, are you, have you identified it? And how can you uh, get help? How can you improve your standing so that you can be the qualified decision maker for your legacy? As always, I thank you for your time in terms of listening. For your comments, your critiques, please send them to my email address, which is rfong at truenorthshepherding.com. For my next episode, I'm going to discuss uh, uh, a topic that was in a recent Wall Street Journal article where the writer wrote that now we are and going to be facing 60-year careers. Before, people may not have worked that long. Maybe they have. But people will be jumping in and out of the market uh, workplace. Uh, jobs will change. Industries will come and go and so forth. And are people prepared? And maybe because of the sheer economic necessity that you're going to have to work longer because you need uh, the money because the days of pensions or retirement funds, whatnot, just may not be there. With with that idea of, of the going forward, is that if you'll be working longer, how does that figure in to your legacy design? Until then, please take the time to nurture your legacy because when you do, we all benefit. Thank you.